Wasn't exactly sure how yesterday was going to continue into today, into today in terms of the talk, but something happened. So I, I want to I want to keep talking about this um, what it is to be with what is happening, how we're caring for things how we're attending to things and how we are hearing um, the Dharma of non-sentient beings. And um, I was watching my own, sitting in Zazen this morning, I was watching my own mind and body and I was, just before this talk, I was thinking about what gets in the way of that. And one of the traditional ways we talk about this is talking about the five hindrances, which many of you have heard. But but sometimes I think the five hindrances are almost not, um, they're, they're, they're almost, they're very specific and not specific at the same time. They're very specific in that they focus in on a particular way of relating to something, restlessness or or a kind of visceral greed for something or, or sloth and torpor. I mean, we know them, doubt, so on, and they're important. But there's, there's something that maybe um, the way that I was, the frame that came up for me was this um, idea of personas, which is not a language we necessarily use in traditional Buddhism, more of a Western idea, but a really, for me, a really useful way of attending to what keeps our minds busy with ourselves. Um, keeps our minds from just settling into what is happening right now moving us on to the next thing. And the way I'm going to use this, and, and there are lots of um, psychotherapists around who, who have much more sophisticated understandings of this than I do, but, but I'm just going to use it in a, in a fairly straightforward way, which is these, um, a way that we, have a habit of understanding who we are and acting that out. And I'll just, I'll just give some examples. I just threw some things down quickly just to give you a frame for what this is rather than explaining it in too much detail. So we might take on a persona of the one who controls, the one who appeases, the one who dismisses, the one who doesn't give a damn about anything, the one who is always put upon, the one who is always alone, the one who is superior, the one who is inferior, the one who leaves, the one who remains loyal no matter the cost, the one who is always being looked at, the one who is never seen, the one who must watch everyone and everything, the one who saves the one who persecutes, the one who is always wronged, the one who knows best for everyone, the one who is always misunderstood, the one who must follow, the one who must lead, the one who must be right at the center of a, 
of attention, the one who is the shadow and on the periphery, the one who's in the way, the one who must get out of the way, the one who must be contrary, the one who must be meshed, the one who helps, the one who has never helped, the one who cannot be helped, the imposter, the rightful, the overwhelmed, the martyr, so on, <laughs> so on, so on. And um, these personas that we live through, and we have our favorite, probably five or six, all of us, they are related to core beliefs, but they are not necessarily those core beliefs. So we may have a core belief that I will be exiled or I am not worthy. But how we respond to that might be radically different personas. The way that we act that out is going to emerge based on the context that we developed to that persona, the family system we were in, whatever was going on for us. And so they're related to each other. But one core story can become 50 different personas, right? So for us, it's really important to know how we manifest. And if I am trying to take care of something and someone cuts in front of me or someone doesn't pay attention to me and suddenly that comes up or I suddenly feel in the way I'm not moving fast enough, whatever it is, whatever the persona is, then we're not with what we're doing because we're involved in the story of that persona and recreating it. And the interesting thing about personas is personas have persona thoughts and personas dream persona dreams. They don't get out of themselves very easily. So if we are in, and they're not reducible, you know, it's not as if a persona is just the thoughts we're having because personas shape our bodies. They twist our postures. They create energetic fields in us. We curve ourselves around them. You know, if we are having, if we, if we are settled into habitually grasping the persona of being ignored or being the one who is always wrong, we probably don't have this body, right? We probably have a very different body. So it's more than just the thoughts. It's a postural, energetic, mental, behavioral organizing of what we are. And um, we put tremendous amounts of energy into keeping these things going. And not only that, we're very good at making new ones. Let's say I'm not to pick on anybody here, but let's say I'm the Eno all of a sudden. Or I'm the Tenzo, or I'm in, or I'm a, or a famous one was philosopher Jean Paul Sartre. He talked about 
Um, he used the term bad faith for these kinds of personas, and he used the role of the waiter. As we get into a waiter persona, and now I'm acting like a waiter, and I <laughs> think like a waiter, and I do things like a waiter. And, um, and it has nothing to do with who I am in the rest of my life. So we may take on a, a role in a Zen center, and suddenly we create the persona of the Eno. And we act out the persona of the Eno, or we act out what we think the persona of the Tenzo is. And those personas can be in conflict, or the persona of the teacher. Those personas can be in conflict with all, all kinds of other personas. And they're suddenly up against each other, terrorizing one another. And all we're trying to do is lay a spoon down. Pay attention to it. But we got to move on to the next thing. Because what do these people think of me? And are the thoughts they're having supporting the thoughts that I'm having of myself? And if they're not, I need to manipulate the world until they are. So that we can all be clear on what my acceptable self-personas are. We need to get on the same page. Unfortunately, they often get in conflict with other people's notion of who I am. And then we do really fun things like we'll create the persona of a Zen student outside of ourselves and say, I don't want to be that. I'm not going to do all that stuff. That is, that's, ugh. so we'll actually create false personas to be a, antagonistic to our own false personas so that we can make sure that they stay in place. We have complex ways of chasing our own tail. It's really, so we're doing this and we are all doing this and we are not even getting into gendered personas and racialized personas and everything else. And so all of that is in play. And we will, as I mentioned, we will try to get out of this. Maybe. Sometimes we're so identified with a persona, we don't even know to get out of it. But when we're not, we'll sometimes try to get out of it by the rules, thoughts, and dreams of the persona. And we wonder why it's not working. Laura and I were talking this morning about hermit life. And Zanju just talked about this the other night. What it is to go on solitary retreat. And the first couple of weeks of solitary retreat are often watching these personas slip away. Because there's no one reinforcing them. And it is not very comfortable and um, sometimes quite painful depending on the persona. And then there's a moment when the urge to rebuild stops and your trees and you're a frying pan 
near the sweeping of the cabin, near the carrying of the wood. And there isn't a desire to put back in place some construct of what I am. And in those moments, we see and hear differently. We're still limited. We're still one mind, one perspective in a particular place. But that mind is now in connection and relationship with the world and it's no longer strangling itself. So go back to Yunyan and Dongshan from yesterday. So after the end of the story, when um, Dongshan admitted that he did not, he could not hear non-Sendian beings, and Yunyan said, well, if you can't hear me, how are you going to hear them? Yunyan asks, I mean, Dongshan asks Yunyan for something in the scriptures that could help out with this. And um, Yunyan quoted the Amitabha Sutta, Sutra, this line, water birds, tree groves, all without exception, recite the Buddha's name and recite the Dharma. Water birds, tree groves, all without exception, recite the Buddha's name and recite the Dharma. This was enough for Dongshan. And um, soon after he had a realization, he wrote these, he wrote these lines. How marvelous, how wonderful the Dharma expounded by non-sentient beings is inconceivable. Listening with your ears, no sound. Hearing with your eyes, you directly understand. So this hearing with your eyes, you see this kind of thing a lot in Chinese poetry where the senses are crossed. And people, sometimes people, scholars consider this um, synesthesia, where the um, the senses pick up on other senses; they cross perceive. But there's something being pointed to about the realization of suchness here or the fully being with where the inquiry and response come up together or where there is no separation of any kind and life is arising as life. And that's what we are. And that is the knowing of that, how that is known is not known in the same way that I see a video screen or another person. It is known before the senses. So for those of you who who, um, who took the Yogacara class, you know, there is this idea of Alia Vijnana or this, we'll say, basic mind that exists before it gets organized into the various senses. So there's the mind we know, which is I see, I hear, I smell, I think, 
I organize everything based around seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. But all of that is already after the karmic mind has organized things in that way. Right? The way the world is arising in us, in its, let's say, raw sense, is unknown to us. It's, we could say, this is the source. It's coming up in a way that we can't directly perceive in the same way that we directly perceive everything else. But it's there in its pre-organized, um, indiscernible, mixed-up way. When, what, what Dong Shan's pointing to is, the realization of suchness, even though we're locked in the seeing and the hearing and the tasting and this mind, that realization is coming from a place where those things are not yet distinct. We are not yet organizing ourselves into this mind, and we certainly are not organizing ourselves into these personas. We're not someone standing over here looking at a world that is the absolute truth in the way that my senses say it is. That is dropped. We are no longer beholden to the thoughts and dreams of whatever our personas are, or even the thoughts and dreams of this particular mind. They'll have it. They'll have their thoughts and dreams. But there's something else that is the wholeness of everything that is known, but not known in the way I know that there is a pair of glasses here because I can't see it. I can't see it in the way I can see glasses, but I can see the sound of it and I can hear the shape of it. It has to come before those are fully distinguished. And so it is known in a way that the body knows, that the body knows something is there. And so when we move something and we handle something, we're handling something, communing with the source, we're handling something from that space, from that place. We're not simply driving ourselves in an egoic way to be really careful and rigid. We're coming from something that is... Um, Nothing but connection. Nothing but intermingling. Nothing but dependent co-arising. Nothing but the intimate intervoice of all things. That's where we're coming from when we're laying something down. And when we're not, then we're not. We actually are, but our minds don't know it. And so he writes another poem. This is down the way. This is, this is the kind of the famous moment in Dongshan's life where he looks into the stream and sees his reflection. And he has what's considered his big awakening. Just don't seek from others or you'll be far estranged from self. I, know go, I now go on alone, but everywhere I meet it, it now is me. I now am not it, 
one must understand in this way to merge with suchness. Just don't seek from others. So when we are living in this world of persona life, this is what we're doing. It's one big seeking from others. It's a self of separation that is looking to be made whole by other selves that understand themselves as separate. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make ourselves the separation in ourselves whole through others who are suffering from the same separation. Now, in some ways, we do do exactly this. We are, we heal together. So we do live in Sangha together and we do heal together. But it will never be another persona or another separate self that is the full response to what is going on with this one. They are one aspect of it. And so don't seek it from others or you'll be estranged from self. To go on alone, I now go on alone. To go on alone um, does not mean there are not other people in Dongshan's life. He was in monasteries. He lived with people most of his life. But that the wholeness is already here and complete. It is already here and complete. The one that feels it needs to go elsewhere, if you remember Dogen's language, why go off to dusty faraway lands? The one that thinks we have to go elsewhere is the one that is still trying to complete itself by gathering up things in the phenomenal world. I'm going to go get that thing I see over there and that thing I hear over there. And I will surely fix what is separate. The wholeness is beneath everything that is looking at this life. Everything that is seeing this life. The wholeness is beneath, throughout, before, around, everything that is. We don't have to go anywhere. Our arm is reaching from wholeness, is picking up a cup that is wholeness, and it is bringing tea from wholeness into wholeness. And so what is it then to move at the speed of that wholeness? To honor the connection that is always there. So connected, the word connection falls short. And then Dongshan says, it now is me. I now am not it. Everything, Dogen's way of saying the myriad things arise as the self. The world what is arising is me. Everything that arises is me. It is not about 
me going out to become the world, my being one with everything, the ego's drive to see how it can be a great version of itself. Even if we have the experience of an immense mind, not complete, just immense, not whole, just maybe limitless, but it isn't about anything here realizing itself. Is about this completely falling away and life being life and life realizing itself. And the subtlety of that distinction can fool us over and over and over again. So Dongshan has the realization that his chasing around has come to nothing. And he sees his face in the stream and he knows that he is not that reflection. That reflection and all things are him. And everything like that reflection, his mind is nothing but that reflection. Everywhere he looks, he is seeing his reflection. Everything he is looking at is his own mind. And so everything that he is seeing is him. It is not him going out to become that. He already, it already is him. Already is what he is. There is already complete wholeness without a hair's breadth of separation in anything. Once we recognize that there's no separation between the spoon we are picking up and laying down and ourselves, The spoon is my face being reflected back at me. You all are my face being reflected back at me. It cannot be any other way unless we draw lines through our minds and call them inside and outside. So this is why, you know, in a way, Dogen just says to sit. And don't worry about it. We sit. We sit and the mind that comes up is the mind that comes up. It's the same. This mind's now me. This mind's now me. This mind's now me. This mind's now me. It's not changing a thing about the wholeness of what we are. Even the most bitter, tormenting mind cannot change that. How we respond to the bitter, tormenting mind, that can make it pretty hard. And here's the interesting, I think the interesting thing about working with, um, when we catch ourselves in a persona, And it might be hard to do because we're often so fused with them and they're often so old and young that um, old been around a long time. Young started early. Um, We can't even see they're happening. One of the ways we can see if they're happening is if we can't have any thoughts outside 
of a particular way of thinking. If we're locked into them, a particular way of thinking, it must be this way. And somebody says, well, it could be the other way. And our immediate response is, that's ridiculous. Can't be that way. Probably locked in. And um, very hard to work with at the thought level. And so it is sometimes, so sometimes it's, it's helpful to actually notice it at the energetic level. And this is where posture is so great because it does shape, personas do shape our bodies. They do shape the way we are in the world. And so attending to one's posture is a way of beginning to counter those habits and disrupt them. And we'll find our own, but we may notice that we hold our bodies in a particular way when we're in particular moods. And we may notice in Zaza, and some days it's very easy to sit up straight, and some days it's nearly impossible. And we can't really understand why. If the body's working okay. And so what is going on? What is what is being what has been evoked that is making it nearly impossible? to hold ourselves up or that we even need to hold ourselves up rather than our bodies just holding itself up. Why are we having the effort? What's happening? So to begin to, um, I think in this way, sense focus on posture is very helpful and very wise because it's getting at something we don't know how to get to on our own. Until we sit down and take a shape we're not accustomed to, we will always take the shapes we're accustomed to. And as long as we take the shapes we're accustomed to, we will never see them. And so we have to take a different shape. And so our ancestors and teachers are asking us to take a different shape. And in taking a different shape, we see personas. We see mental postures. So two things we can do. One I talked about yesterday. Besides taking this shape. First is being with everything fully and noticing when we can't. Our body being with everything and taking care of everything fully and noticing when we're moving on to the next thing. And if I'm moving on to the next thing before I'm finished with this, what am I thinking that makes that have to be so? What is it that care is not the appropriate thing in this moment? What is it that contact, addressing something, being fully with is not the most appropriate thing. What is more appropriate than that? I have an idea that the person behind me mad that I'm taking too long. So if there is end student, too bad. <laughs> we may have to adjust in, in other circumstances. But it's okay to be the slowest walking New Yorker. As long as people can get around us. So there's that, being with everything fully. And you don't have to be, just for those who move more quickly, you don't have to necessarily be slow to attend to everything. It just makes it a little easier. (laughs) Um, 
The other one is cultivating disinterest in our likes and dislikes. Sometimes cultivating straight up disloyalty. But definitely increasing disinterest in our likes and dislikes. Because our likes and dislikes contour these personas. They are the shape of them. They are how we keep them in place. They are who we are. I'm the kind of person who dot, dot, dot. All of that is a part of what it is to keep it in place. And so Zen, interestingly, obsesses on these two points, which is be with everything you're doing and don't be interested in your likes and dislikes. And if we really do those two things, and not easy at all, if we really do those two things and begin to attend to what the shape of another thing Zen pays a lot of attention to, the shape of our body and how we're shaping it and how it's being shaped, it goes right at this whole persona complex. It kind of gets at it from every side. And we start seeing what and who we think we are in a given moment and how we're separating ourselves and how we're manipulating a world and how we're not able to be with life because our energy is going into maintenance. Our energy is going into maintaining a person against a life. rather than dying into that life. And as terrifying as that transition is, um, it's freeing, and it releases a lot of energy to not be putting all that energy into making myself something for all of you all the time. How exhausting. So Dongshan realizes that all he has to do, finally, instead, here's the beauty of this particular moment. Finally, instead, his realization does not come from a teacher. He does not fully realize the response to his question from a teacher. He realizes it from a stream. It is the stream that ends up being the one who teaches him. The teachers keeps doing their best and sending him along. But in the end, his monastery was the forest. His place of hearing or seeing the language of suchness was interacting with Mother Earth herself. Because that wholeness is always present. And he couldn't hear it. This is what his teachers kept saying. If I tell you something, then I'm not able to hear it. If you're hearing it in words, you're still not able to hear it. If I'm giving you the Dharma in words, none of us here are able to hear it. We're just organizing our thinking minds for a little bit until the whole of our being hears it. 
and that will not probably be because of words. So with that, I will stop talking. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.